we are uh, continuing this series called Can You Relate and, and, and working our way through some of the most strained relationships, certainly over this last year. I love this uh, picture because I actually think that God agrees with that statement. And what I want you to do is I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. I am your wife and I am the greatest good you were ever going to get because in Genesis chapter 2, God is making everything and as God is crafting and creating and speaking all of life into existence, as he's moving and shaping uh, all of creation, what what we with the narrative that we get from the text and from the scripture is it's good. And you can go back in Genesis one. We'll throw these up on the screen. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. They called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God said that it was good. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And it, so what we'll see is that God's making everything and all of it is absolutely 110% good. And then we come to this place in Genesis chapter two and God makes a peculiar statement because it says the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now, hear this, man has it all. He's got total dominion, total rule, total authority over everything that God has made. No sin has entered into the equation at all. And yet God steps back and says, it's not good, not good for man to be alone. Meaning there's a greater good that you're about to get, Adam, okay? And he says this statement because, listen, he makes this statement not because it dawn, just now dawns on God, oh, I kind of made a mistake here. Okay, that's not what's happening in this narrative. God says this out loud because there is something that he wants us to see, right? God didn't make a mistake. And in fact, I think we can all affirm that because can we just for a moment think about an earth with just all dudes? <laughs> this is just a bad deal. Just a lot of BO. I don't know what else would happen, but just gonna be rough. I mean, if you just think about an earth with just the dudes, this is a, nobody wants to be a part of that. So God's, not, so God's not looking. This was never the plan from the get-go, but what he did want to do is for us to see something that God has designed through this union called marriage to help us know who he is. Everything in creation God's making is good, and it's about pointing to a creator that's good. It's helping us see the spectacle, the grandeur, the greatness of what God actually is. And in his infinite wisdom, he devises a way for Adam to see new layers into who God is, to know God in a much deeper sense through this thing called marriage, because he wanted us to know that the God who is perfectly one, has never been alone. 
He wanted us to see that this God who is one has existed eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. They have always been together from the get-go, divinely enjoying and loving each other with total and absolute perfection. That's always happened. It's always been that way. And God was inviting those made in his image into a deeper understanding. When he said it's not good for man to be alone, what he, said, what he was saying is there's a point that I want people to see and understand to become one. Genesis 2, 24, if man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You understand that from the get-go, the point in the design of marriage was for us to be able to understand the uniqueness of what it means to be uniquely different and yet one at the same time. It was being invited into the very person of God. He wanted us to understand what it means to experience divine union first with each other, but ultimately this union that we're meant to have with God. Because listen, in the same way that the story begins with this union, married a, a man married to one, one one man married to one woman, all of human history culminates with a marriage. God's people to himself. You can literally take your Bible, flip all the way to the very back and go all the way to Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, we get this final picture of what God is doing with all of humanity, where literally our trajectory, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is where you're headed. Now, I'll just read this description because it's so far beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. Revelation chapter 19, and the 24 elders... And the four living creatures, they fall down and they're worshiping God who was seated on the thrones. They're saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God, meaning this is your destiny. To be connected deeply with the king of the universe, the son of God. All of human history starts with a divine marriage and it ends with a divine marriage. The people of God to their beloved, the Son of God. There's nothing more authenticating to this union of God with man than marriage. This picture that he's granted and given to us. Even if you take the, uh, the book, The Song of Solomon, which is kind of the primer, if you will, if there's one book that you could look to to try to understand this, how this thing called romantic love that we have here and, and how, do, how does it work um, 
ultimately with being a people that God is connecting to himself, right? Because if you actually look at the Song of Solomon, you can go throughout church history. It's seen as both this incredible poem about this relationship between this man and this woman, and yet at the same time has seen, been seen historically as an allegory of the people of God that connect with him forever. The allegory of Christ and his church. And the, at the end of this book, and I would love for us to be able to go through this, the, you know, the Song of Solomon together at some point in time, we may do that. But I love how the enti- this entire book summarizes this, this kind of epic story in this way. Song of Solomon chapter eight. Look at this in verse six. Here's, what it's, here's, here's how this book finishes. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he'd be utterly despised. Nothing points to the beauty and the majesty of the creator God more than this kind of love. It's unquenchable. The love that is is a seal on my arm, meaning a word of permanence. This love that is as strong as death, it cannot be denied. Love that is fully jealous for your heart, you alone and no one else. Love that cannot be drowned out by the waters of the world. Love that's more valuable than the totality of the bank accounts of all the CEOs combined. This is this love. This is what God is wanting to open our hearts up to. And he's given us this picture through marriage. He's given us this idea. And listen, we can, what we can say is, okay, pastor, um, that all sounds amazing. Sounds poetic. Sounds even ethereal and beautiful. But seriously, who can live up to that? I mean, that, that sounds big. That sounds like pie in the sky. But let's be honest, like if you're married, listen, if, if you're not married right now, that's, you can look at that and go, that, that kind of love, that feels daunting. Who could even, is that even attainable? And if, for those of you that have been married, all right, you're going, yeah, um, I don't, yeah, I, you might even be despair a little bit like, hey, that's, that's something to reach for. Uh, that's great. But listen, what we ultimately feel when we see the beginning of the story and the end of the story and we hear this beautiful text in Song of Solomon describing the power of this love and this thing that God's inviting us into, what it's, if you're anything like me, what it's easy to do is like, who can do this? I mean, is this even actually a real thing? Like you'd have to, listen, I, I, this is what I feel. You'd have to be God to be able to love like this. And church, that is the point. That's the point of all of this. This is the purpose. I want you to hear this. The plan and the purpose of your marriage from the beginning to the end is to discover what it means to love like God loves. This is the point. I think this is what God wants to do is to begin to give fresh vision to his church for what it means to actually be in this union. Because this is what this whole thing is 
about. And there's, listen, there's lots of ideas about what marriage is supposed to be about. But this is the beginning point. And if I, you know, listen, we're doing a one, one, one message on, on, on marriage here. All right, this, we could take seven and 10 and 12 messages to go through all of the nuances of marriage. And we're not gonna do that. We wanna boil this down to one thing. And we'll, we might do something later on down the road, but I wanna boil this down to one thing and just to say this. The point of all of this is to help us and invite us and draw us into what it means to love like God loves. This is what this whole thing is about. I want you to hear, listen, if you're thinking, well, that's kind of impossible, you're supposed to be thinking, that's exactly how you're supposed to be thinking. Because here's the deal. There's nothing you've been called into in the kingdom of God that is not impossible without God. It all takes him, every ounce of it. Everything you've been called to, it's impossible. Everything that God wants to do in you, it's impossible without him. But with him, it's possible. I love Matthew 19, 26. Jesus says this, with, the, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Come on. All right, there's hope. If you feel like something's impossible, there's a possibility in God, right? Because if we're honest, let's think about what marriage is, this side of the fall, this side of sin, where sin has come in and corrupted and broken all the things. If you think about it, you're taking two people who are incredibly imperfect, sinful, and selfish, and you're smashing them into the most intense of all human relationships. That seems daunting. That seems difficult. You've got this union of two people and here's what's great. You're gonna experience some of the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows and everywhere in between. That's what we walk through. And on top of that, let's think through this. There are so many competing ideas for what is actually true about marriage. What is marriage relationship supposed to be about? What is it supposed to look like, right? Because we're all bringing hopes and expectations to this relationship. And my question is, is what are the other cultures that are trying to speak into what this relationship is all about. Because you can go line by line through all of the different ways in which marriage is trying to be defined by all the world around us, right? You've got entertainment. You've got songs and movies that are informing all of these expectations, right? I've, you know, I've, I've, I've probably not done my children well because I've, I've uh, introduced them to 80s power ballads, and they, they're so great with the synth and um, all the fake sounds of the 80s that are so amazing, all right? And it's just like, I can't live without you, you know, whatever, all these songs. And it's just, and it's so gripping and so emotional, right? And it's so great. And we're all just going, man, that like works for about two seconds. And then I just have no energy left after that. It's like, I can give you that kind of emotion for about the length of this song and then I'm out. I'm sorry, you know? And this is what we all figure out. This is the true nature of relationship. We all find out that we come to the end of ourselves that we're absolutely broken. So what we find is that, listen, there's all these ideas in which songs and movies and listen, every, listen, almost every movie is trying to end toward it's all gonna, you're gonna live happily ever after and we all tend to think that way. And so what we do is we come in and we start thinking, well, listen, marriage is to, designed to fulfill us, 
right? That's a, a, a beautiful, neat sentiment. Thank you, Tom Cruise. You know, when you come into the room and you say, you complete me, you know, and we're like, oh yes, amen. And then you like, look at the person sitting next to you, like shoving popcorn into their face. And you're like, I don't, I don't feel completed. I mean, you know, like this is, can we just be on? I mean, there's, there's some bad ideas about what this thing is. Supposed, listen, so in fact, I think one of the prevailing thoughts, <laughs> one of the prevailing, I only say that because that's also true. I'm just saying, you know, some, some people are loud popcorn eaters. It might be me. But anyway, I just, you know, one of the most, one of the most prevailing thoughts about marriage is marriage exists to make you happy. And it just, it only begs the question, what do you do when you're not happy? If marriage exists to make you happy, what are you supposed to do about it when you're not happy, which feels like that happens? And so you have all these competing ideas. There's one of those that marriage will fix all the broken things in me. I feel really empty. And so if I, if I get married, that's gonna, that's gonna fill me. It's gonna fix the things that were broken. Church, I'm telling you, there are some bad and competing philosophies about marriage. And God's waving his arms going, hey, I have something richer and better for you, but you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to trust me in this because the world's got some bad ideas about it. You can go past all the entertainment stuff. You can think about your family of origin to which you might go, ugh. Because some of us got a front row view of our parents or those that were close to us or close family members and it wasn't pretty and it was difficult. Some of you had some great, great views. Some of them difficult. Some, you, they were together. Some were divorced. Some were angry. Some were loving. It's all over the map in our experience. But if you don't think that those things were shaping how we see marriage, then you've not understood the power of what happens when we watch these things. On top of that, you've got nowadays social media where you're literally getting the highlight reel of everyone's relationship. And you look at your own and go, oh, we'll never measure up. You ever, I mean, have you done that? Like you're looking at, I mean, God, there's a reason that ESPN makes a bajillion dollars, right? Is because you don't have to watch the game. You just watch ESPN, you get the two minute highlight reel and that's all you need. This is what social media has effectively done. And we look at it and we go, and we feel more disappointment, more disillusionment because nothing is working the way we want it to. And on top of that, by the way, you can throw a pandemic on top of all of it over the last year in which now studies, and they're just trying to, they're just now getting to enough time to be able to see, but studies showing at minimum, a third of the people that have walked through this season have seen a significant negative effect on their marriage the real disappointment that's come. There's a law firm. I was reading an article. There's a law firm in Washington, D.C. They had a 70% increase in calls. It's a, it's a, it was actually divorce attorneys. 70% increase in calls to their office from, the time, from this time to last, time, to last year in 2020, early 2020, late 2019. 70% increase. The difficulties that have, been, that have come through this you have all of these competing ideas going on and all's coming at us. And on top of all of that, I want you to hear this. On top of all of that, there is going to be more warfare around the, your relationship with your spouse than almost any other relationship you'll ever have. The enemy hates marriage because it's an invitation to experience something deeper with God. 
and he's coming after it. And many of you have experienced the pain of when a marriage falls apart. You guys at home, here in this room, whether it was your own marriage or whether it was someone that you were watching or close to or near to and it hurt you. And there are many of you even right now that are walking through marriage and going, I don't know that we're experiencing what God has for us. And here's the good news. There is beyond a shadow of a doubt in the hands of the impossible, the impossible working powerful God, healing wholeness for all in this place. There's good news if you're married, if you're not married, single or divorced, you've walked through heck and back, or you just feel like you're just trying to get through, or you might even be on the mountaintop right now. There's good news. God has life for every one of us. He has healing and wholeness. And here's the guarantee that regardless of what mountaintops and valleys you will go through, you are being brought to a perfect union one day. And he has pieces of that union to give away to us. Don't even have to be married. That union could be given to us today. That's the call. And so here's the invitation today is that the spirit of God would begin to manifest in new ways to create new love and new desire and a new hunger for being able to love people, to be able to love our spouse, but to go far, far, far beyond that. And so all I want to do is unpack some core truths because all of this sounds amazing, but then there's some actual walking it out. My wife and I have experienced a lot. We've been married 16 years and uh, yeah, I get that number right. And uh, we've experienced all of the great ups and all of the great lows. We've been through all of it. I want to just share some things that have been meaningful for us, what we've seen from the word of God and how it's been helpful to us and just embracing what the scripture has to say about how we can walk into this and find life and healing and wholeness for all. All right. Number one, listen, because there are no perfect people, we got to lay down the expectation of having a perfect marriage. Uh, Expectations are often everything. When it comes to relationships, the expectations that we have uh, often define how we see the lens by which we see relationships, all right? And the call is for us to be a people who have a marriage with its aim to learn how to love like God loves, not to have it all figured out, not to be able to put the beautiful thing on Instagram and be able to say, hey, look at us and how awesome we are, but to be able to say the point of us being together is not our perfection because that's Jesus's job. Jesus was the perfect one and he makes us perfect. So what's our role and responsibility and what's the call on us? To say, hey, we're on a journey to love like Jesus loves. This is the call on us. One of the basic things that we've sought to do um, in our own relationship between my wife and I is that we want to see maximum thriving and flourishing. What does it take to do that? Listen, I I love the scripture because the call is so far beyond anything that we could possibly accomplish. You have Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. How do you love your wives? The way Christ loved the church. 
And what did Christ do? He gave himself up for her. If you wanna know what real leadership in a home looks like, listen, if you wanna know what it looks like to be a husband, it's not about your awesomeness, not about how awesome your muscles are, or your masculinity, or wearing camouflage, or beards, or all the things that we often associate with like really strong, great guys. You wanna know what a really strong, great guy is? It's one who wants to create an environment for maximum flourishing in his home. I wanna create maximum flourishing. I want my wife to thrive and flourish. I want my kids to thrive and flourish. I love this scripture because it does, what it does not say is husbands, you sacrificially love your wives as long as she's all awesome and wonderful and cute. <laughs> and being all the things that you think you need. What it says is you love your wife sacrificially. You lay your life down. This is the call. And that's hard, but it is the call in the good, in the bad, in the ugly. The call doesn't change. Ephesians 5, 33, wives respect her husband. And I love, again, this also doesn't say respect him as long as he's earned your respect. In fact, there'll be many days he won't. But to respect him where it's difficult, or you often respecting him to where he needs to be, almost calling him up. I don't know if you've ever, uh, ever been in that place when you're talking about, when we talk about the idea of sacrificial love, uh, where you've been in marriage, and this would be a little bit raw, where you feel like um, the person that you're married to is the enemy. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're going like, the one that where I'm trying, where, where I'm not getting what I want or I want all these things and you're not doing these things for me and the person across the table you feel like is the enemy. And what I absolutely 110% love about this is what does the scripture have to say about our enemies? Love your enemies. Now listen, your wife's not your enemy. Your husband's not your enemy. They aren't. It can feel that way. And so the call is this, can you enter into a deeper love that's not something that you can produce on your own, but something that God can give to you and grant to you as a gift? This is what the call is, to take two people that are surrendered to Jesus and just saying, God, can you help me love this person? Can you give me your Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God knows exactly what your spouse needs, what it means to love them. And so we ask him that. Number two, uh, one, we've got to lay down the expectation of having a thriving marriage until we're personally pursuing wholeness in Christ. Now listen, God wants and is bringing us to places of thriving in our marriage. But hear this, if you aren't committed to personally being renewed and transformed, then asking for something to be thriving when you aren't willing to go there with the Lord yourself is broken. Are we willing to go there? Marriage will actually only work as well and have room for growth for those who are actually willing to address the things that are broken in us. Not you fix all your spouse's stuff, but asking God to fix your stuff. Meaning this, listen, if you find yourself bound up with 
bitterness or negativity or judgment or unforgiveness or toxic shame or fear, there's a place for us to begin to ask the Lord to heal. This is the moment. You might even feel, you might even be in a marriage and feel totally alone. And what we do is we come to the Lord and say, Lord, have your way in me. That there's a responsibility that each of us carry to say, God, I'm bringing this, I'm bringing these broken things to you. And I'm not asking my spouse to heal me. I'm asking you to heal me. Because if you wanna have a thriving relationship with each other, then it's critical to say, God, who are you in my life? Change me and transform me. Have your way. One of the most important things that Megan and I have done over the years that we've been married is just taking time to acknowledge the things that are broken and the ways we've fallen short and to confess those things. And that's some of the hardest stuff to think that there is but we're bringing our broken things to the ta- we're bringing our broken things into the relationship and so it's been critically important to be able to talk about those things. And I think one of the things that we've discovered that, that allow us to thrive and to grow is the level of vulnerability where we say here's the thing that's broken. I I've been I, and I'm to listen I'm preaching this stuff. I'm, I'm get, uh, I've gotten through some whole, uh, whole new things even over the last year, right? All right, pandemics punched me in the face too, right? And I'm just going, hey, it's time. I don't know, this is, this is difficult, by the way, for guys. Because my wife will ask me all the time, like, hey, she'll see, I don't know if you'll walk into the room and my wife will see my face and she'll be like, hey, what, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. No, but she can see something's different. I don't even know how she sees this stuff. It's amazing. It's probably the Holy Spirit. Or, and she's also got a keen eye. But here. But I come in and, and she can just see the thing. And I'll say, oh, I'm good. And then like a couple hours will go by and then I'll be like, hey, I think I'm not good. And listen, if we aren't willing to actually dig into the things and ask the Lord, hey, Lord, would you come do your healing in me personally? Then we can't expect to have a thriving marriage. God's not asking us to lay down that expectation. What he's saying is you expect that thriving marriage when you say, hey, I'm willing to be changed and transformed. And then finally, I wanna finish with this. Listen, we lay down, we gotta lay down the broken cultures that are poisoning our marriage and we invite the culture of the kingdom in, right? What that means is this, listen, it's just time to, strategically face the wrong beliefs that we have. If you've got beliefs about marriage, even from some of your previous experiences, maybe you were previously married or something that you saw with your parents and it's toxic and it's broken, you find yourself repeating it. I want to encourage you here. There is absolutely 110% new life. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Listen, we walk in the flesh, but we're not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There is an overcoming that God will grant to us when we confess and say, hey, these are the things, these are the places that I believe that are broken. 
These are the things that I've given my heart to that are not true and I'm asking God for you to come and heal those. Things that you've lived through that you don't wanna repeat. We pray that even for our kids, right? Even for our own children, we've asked that. That uh, even some, and in all the ways we're fighting for our own marriage, we're asking God, hey, God, give our kids more grace and ask them to be trained and taught by the Holy Spirit. We ask for God for new rhythms and saying, hey, God, would you give me new rhythms, new ways to interact with each other? One of the great things uh, that we've experienced uh, is just taking the time, like, listen, if you find yourself stuck, to sit down with a marriage counselor. It's been one of the most helpful things that Megan and I have done is to sit down and say, hey, can you help us work through this? I wanna see this from, we need to see this from a different angle. We need new rhythms for how we love each other well. It's a powerful thing. So often a stigma, I think, in the church about going to counseling, and I don't know why, it's, it's sitting down and saying, hey, God, have your way. Do your work in us. And finally, we'll finish with this. It, it, it's so critical that you're planted in a godly community, people that can come around you and love on you on those hard days people that can in, speak life over your marriage, speak life over you as you walk through these things. You guys stand with me. This is what we wanna be a, a, as a, a people here. If, if Sunday is a, I'm sorry, if, if church is a Sunday only experience, the Lord's got more for us as a people. Father, we wanna just begin to bring our hearts to you, ask for your truth over our lives. We know you have more for us. So many things and so many ways that you wanna speak and give life. But the first thing we just wanna do is acknowledge, Lord, our need for you. We're asking for you to grant and give new life. To begin to do your work of healing and restoration. take this moment. I want to pray for those that have been wounded through marriage experiences. Maybe it's your current one. Maybe it's previous. Maybe it was something you experienced growing up and it was hurtful. And I just believe the Lord wants to come and begin to encourage to speak life over you and begin to do his work of healing. If you'll ask him. Lord, the thing that's been broken, would you come and heal? Would you just ask him that? Would you do your work of reconciliation and restoration, God, in my heart? And if you're with your spouse, if you're here, you guys are at home with your spouse. I just want to pray right now a blessing over marriages. Father, we're asking that you would do your work of giving us fresh vision for all that you want to accomplish. Lord, to help us love like you love. To help us to lay down our lives and to give honor and respect and to cover and help bring thriving and flourishing to our homes, to give us wisdom to speak over our children and our friendships. Would you give us a vision for how you want to use us to minister to others? 
Would you let your spirit rest on us? And then I just wanna, wanna pray over those that are going to be married someday. Maybe it's a long way off. Maybe it's around the corner. But I just wanna speak blessing over you. The Lord cover you. Pray over your children right now. Lord, we cover all those that you're calling into this union of marriage. Lord, we're blessing right now those that you're partnering them to. We're asking, Lord, that you would bring about your plans and purposes. I pray that even now you'd begin to have your way of shaping them, bringing them into your kingdom, making them whole, allowing them to have their identity rooted in you, calling them by name, giving them vision for the days ahead, hunger for you, your righteousness. I pray that even today, they begin to love like you love well before they meet their intended spouse. Father, we thank you for the relationships that are represented here and at home. God, would you fulfill your plans and purposes? Help us to say yes to you and trust you. Lord, we bless you and we love you. Let's worship.